We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. No matter how poor you are, no matter... We will ask something of you. You have to bring an egg if you want fruit of the womb. Or, or fruit. There must be something we will request of you before God can do what you are requesting of him. And you didn't realize that you moved into a shrine? You didn't realize that you spend the majority of your, your time in a shrine? Rehearsing to sing in a shrine. <laughs> Praying in a shrine. Going out to evangelize for a shrine. Church growth for a shrine. Workers, you are just shrine assistants. <laughs> <laughs> now, whether you like it or not, it's the truth. You are just shrine boys and shrine girls. You know? And, 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 and just as how a protege or a, an understudy would watch an apprentice, would watch his boss. And that's why in Nigeria, we hardly have any sense of excellence. Because we just understudy whoever we are understudying and we pick at their level, P-E-A-K. We do things, we don't question, we don't seek for hire. We don't want to learn any other way of doing stuff. You just settle. It's working. Take it. That's the way we are. So we have a lot of people who have served their masters faithfully and have now graduated to owning their own shrines by the same principle. Haven't you noticed why the thing is generational? You're serving. There's always a member of the family that has been earmarked to understudy the guy, you know, the other is son or a daughter, to pass it down. Always, there's always somebody in the family that is from the next generation that is devoted towards learning, you know, what beads to use, what herbs to mix, what divinations to cast, all that stuff. And that's the same thing we're doing in church. So nobody's learning the word for themselves. They're just learning what Gio said. They're just observing. That's the way they do it. So let's, let's also write manual. Let's write constitution. Let's have Sunday school. So it's not enough to just take something because everybody's doing it. You understand? And do it. Everybody's doing water, so we do water. Everybody's doing fruit, so we do fruits. Everybody's doing seed sowing, so we sow seed. Everybody's wearing suits, so we wear suit. You know? Everybody's praying like this, so we too. We pray like this. Everybody's, it's not enough to do that. We don't come into the truth that way. So in, in that vein, truth becomes very, very bitter. Because when you hear stuff that challenges the very bedrock of what you've always believed, you're like, Wow. You know, but if you look at it critically, and tonight we're just going to talk about it. If you look at it critically, and you remove all the needs-based uh, phenomenon from Christianity, you have nothing left. Because every ministry, every church is promising a utopia of some sort for a problem that you're going through. Every church, solution, healing, and then we even, we even name the, the churches after 
this kind of solution that we are providing? You know, what is on offer? And you, and you look at this, and you look at what Jesus came to institute, and they are absolutely at odds with each other. Now, we don't want to hear this because according to Paul, the gospel being preached is the gospel of the belly. Paul said, those whose belly is their God. So it's the gospel of the belly. If we preach you the truth, you will not give. Which is true. Because you don't give. It's the truth. And so, but because my belly is not my God, I teach you the truth regardless. Now you're quiet. But people that preach for their belly will preach what favors their belly. So when you hear the truth and it slaps you in the face, you feel like, nah, that's, that's not right. But really, church is not... Where do you see church set up to minister to physical needs of people? It's not scriptural. Jesus said, we saw last week, after these things, the Gentiles seek. Believers don't seek them. That's why you don't see any New Testament record of dealing with barrenness. Because New Testament believers do not need it. You don't see any New Testament reference to fighting in marriages. If your husband slaps the wife, the wife should not slap back yet. If the husband slaps her three times, then she should not take him to the apostles. You don't see stuff like that. Because at the level that you are saved into, it takes care of some nonsense. That's why scripture is, New Testament is silent on some things. It doesn't mean you have to now go back and borrow from the Old Testament, which is how some pastors interpret it. That the New Testament doesn't have all the answers. So you, you need to now go and lift one or two additionals from the Old Testament to teach a doctrine. That's not true. But at the level that we're saying, as you have therefore received Christ, so therefore... Walk in him. And, how, and he's the spirit of perfection. Are you following me? So at the level that we received Christ, if we received him correctly or at all, there are some things that, as Paul says, should not even be heard among us. Should we spend time doing, dealing with some at all? It should not be heard among us. So if, if there's stuff that we're dealing, we're struggling with, Stuff that we feel like, well, New Testament doesn't talk about it. Blah, blah. It's like, I mean, the only, the only reference to same-sex um, challenges is in Romans chapter 1. In the entire New Testament. All right? God gave them over to reprobate mind. Men exchanged normal passions for, for women with unlawful passions and vice versa. Women burned with lust for one another. That's the only time. There's no formula for dealing with that kind of stuff. But then we have the Spirit of Christ. We don't have to go to Leviticus and come and explain. We just, some things are just not on our radar. It's simple. So when you hear stuff like this, it challenges the very core of what you believe. The very, very core of what you believe. But the sooner you understand that that's the heart of God, the sooner you begin to operate in the kingdom. It's not popular. Jesus made a very scary statement when he spoke one time. He said that broad... Is the road that leads to destruction. And it says, many there be that travel thereon. Yeah. Hear the next statement and consider it very carefully. He says, narrow and straight. Straight doesn't mean smooth. It means very precarious. Is the path 
that leads to life. Here his next phrase, King James, few there be that find it. How much less travel there on? Don't miss that. This road is large and broad. Many are traveling on it. This road is so precarious. It's so treacherous. Only few people can even see it. And fewer dare to travel. Where feet may fail. Fewer travel there on. So we're not, we're not populist. We're not, we're not here to see, teach what everybody's teaching. There's enough of that. There's enough of the louder your amen, the faster your miracle. There's enough of that nonsense. There's enough of that. There's enough of that. And let's, let us be the church that we're called to be. And not subject it to how we feel. If everybody came of age and realized that our needs don't define our citizenship. Yeah? You will never hear an Amer- a Brit- let's, use, let's use Britain because Britain is more welfareist than America. Yeah? No matter how poor a British citizen is, they would never denounce their citizenship to become African. Because even when it doesn't appear that anything is working, their citizenship alone is value. The point is, you never see them consider rescinding their citizenship. Because no matter how bad it is, there's something of value attached to being who they are. Do you understand that natural truth? As a believer, no matter how terrible it gets, in quote, in God, a believer shouldn't rescind their citizenship. I mean, all it took was for the dude to be momentarily hungry. And he said, what is a birthright to me? I'm hungry. Give it to me. Porridge. Nothing serious. Nothing serious. It was porridge. And Esau let it go. For porridge. I mean, of all things. Porridge. Israel's first challenge on the way to a land God promised them. He said, let's go back. At least we have cucumber and garlic, of all things. The combination, the thought of it. (laughs) Cucumber and garlic. They were happy to walk away from milk and honey. Pomegranates and figs. Remember when they brought back the fruits from Numbers 13? We were willing to forego that for cucumber and garlic. Paul says that these things are written for examples to us. So that we read those things and we understand what it means to be kingdom cultured. Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven. We're not from here. It's like Buhari sending an ambassador to America who now starts to enjoy America so much he doesn't want to come back. 
And so the average Christian is, is judging their citizenship based on what they think it does for them now. What it does for them now. Jesus feeds 5,000 with 12 loaves of bread, uh, five loaves of bread and two fish, and there was 12 baskets full. And it is said that the following day, the crowds all came out looking for him. Because they had found a place they could eat for free. Meanwhile, that feeding was to set the stage for him to teach them in in John 6 about being the bread of life that came from heaven. So he he came to bring them the real bread, but they were not, that was lost on them. They wanted food for now. You know, we have found a man who could feed us. I watched an uh, Mark Angel, Emanuela comedy. I love those guys. Yeah, whenever I'm bored, I just, they entertain me. Without, there's nothing derogatory, it's very clean, it's very sweet. Um, and so Emanuela walks into this shop, I showed the girls the video, and, and, and she sees a couple of guys drinking tea from a dispenser at the back. And then she asks auntie, she says, auntie, that man is drinking your tea. And the woman says, yes, my dear, tea is free. She says, eh, yes, tea is free. Just buy something and you can drink the tea. She said, anything? She said, yes. So she bought sweets and she went and drank. She said, auntie, I will drink your tea. Oh. I'm drinking it. Oh. I'm drinking it. Auntie, you are trying me. Oh. And she drinks the tea and she realizes it's free. So she leaves. The next day she came in the morning and she was like, auntie, good money, I want to buy sweets. She goes and starts helping herself to the tea. Now it turns out that Emmanuel had brought a whole community of children <laughs> that she had told that there was free tea. So they are coming in with all kinds of, of containers to drink. And then I want to buy sweets. And then it, it, the woman doesn't understand what's going on. You know, and they're going on. And then Chukwe Buka comes. There's a small boy. And he comes with a keg, a bucket, and a loaf of bread as big as a pillow. And he goes, Auntie, I bet where are they fetching the tea? <laughs> They are not drinking it. They are not. They are <laughs> I mean, the bread. I'm not joking. The bread was unleavened bread, heavy bread. You know, it came with a keg and a bucket. And say, please, where are they fetching the tea? And, and that's how, that's how those guys were. They heard Jesus fed them. They went and told everybody. It's come out, free food. And the next day, people were getting into boats and crossing to the other side, hoping to block Jesus to feed them. And, and what he came to offer was lost on them. It's lost on them. She wanted to eat now. And a lot of us here are still doing kingdom like Esau. Let it go for a morsel of bread. Let it go because you're hungry today. And we mortgage the kingdom. Mortgage relevance on the earth. 
for today's meal. The gospel doesn't end at the cross. The gospel starts at the cross. Starts at the cross. So just, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm justified, I'm sanctified, I'm, I'm redeemed. That's, that's, that's the beginning. What it brings you into is what matters. Do we understand? Like I said, for me, it births a, a weight of burden on my inside to see how many people are lost who are actually saved. Who just will not spend what Christ did. Who just will not spend it. They will not use it. No matter what you say. They will not use it. And so as you're here and you're growing in truth, let that also grow, in, grow your responsibility, your responsibility to the truth and put it on display. Is that all right? Yeah? I, I just, just, just to wrap up last week, I'm, we're done with this. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I have the release to, to go into the next part of the purpose of the gospel, which is the um, coming of the kingdom. Because we're going to do the kingdom culture as a teaching series, remember? So I'm thinking that, you know, this, what we're dealing with now, um, the purpose of the gospel, there were two elements, right? We've been dealing with the culture of the kingdom, and then the second part is the coming of the kingdom. So I'm thinking of, of skipping that coming of the kingdom and dealing with that exhaustively when we do the series on kingdom culture. Is that all right? So that means I'll, I will draw a lead or curtain on this series, as it were, after tonight. And see where the Lord takes us. Is that alright? Yeah? So I'll just wrap that up in a few minutes and we're done. If you're joining us for the first time or second time, we have all the recordings available on SoundCloud. And of course, if you have a flash drive, we can always copy it for you at no charge. We stopped at saying God is obligated to sustain us once we are obligated to his priority. We looked at the fact that chasing after the needs in life is paganism. Our focus is Christ and his kingdom. Matthew 6 31 and 32. I'm just rounding up, so we're not going to be, we're not going to spend time with this at all. I just want to drive something home so we can give this a safe landing. 31. Um, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the pagans seek, the Gentiles seek. Now, don't forget, again, somebody might come up to you and say, well, in all Paul's writings, he was writing to Gentiles. So is it wrong for Gentiles to be, is it wrong to say after these things the Gentiles seek? And then you need to understand again the change in dispensations. At the time Jesus was speaking, there was no saved Gentile. Right? So the word, the word Gentile was synonymous with the word heathen or pagan. Right? There was God's people, the Jews, and then there was everybody else. Make sense? That's, that's the, the etymology of the word Gentile in that time. Make sense? Pagan, everyone who didn't believe. Right? Heathen or pagan. That's why some translations rightly translated pagans. So they were always after what they wanted. Always. Always after what they wanted. And so any pursuit... Of, of any religion at all, including Christianity, that is focused on what you want, is paganism. Do you understand? It's paganism. It's pagan. Are we saying God doesn't heal? Oh, no. We're saying God healed. Yeah. yeah? 
healed. Is, we're saying God provided. We're saying God blessed. Yeah? Not that God bless you. We're blessed already. And so we don't seek after what should seek after us. Yeah? We seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. So we, we looked at second, um, Hebrews 12, 2, Aferontes looking unto Jesus. And let's see a few more um, scriptures. Um, let's see Hebrews 2, 9. I just wanted to show you another word that is used for looking. Hebrews chapter 2. Um, for, I need verse 9, but let us read verse, from verse 5 for context. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place saying, what is man that you are mindful of him? I've showed you how this was referring to Christ, right? Or the son of man, which was his title, his self-imposed title in the earth, that you take care of him. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. So that scripture clearly when David said that was referring to Jesus, right? No dispute. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. Hallelujah. For now, this is where I'm going. For now, we do not see all things put under him. It doesn't appear like all the things that have been put under him are actually under him. Yeah? Uh, did you get that? But, but here's, here's what we see in verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. But we what? We see Jesus. The word there is blepomen in the Greek. We, we see Jesus. Blepomen, to observe, to be watchful of. To discover by use, blepomen, we blepomen Jesus, spelled how it's pronounced, B-L-E-P-O-M-E-N. We observe Jesus, we see Jesus. It means to, be, to observe, to be watchful of. And even the word watchful of suggests to, to look at some things intently with spiritual eyes until you get physical results. Right? That's the word observe. Or be watchful of in the Greek. To look at something so intently, spiritually. In other words, to afflorentes until it becomes reality. Make sense? Yeah? Black poor man in the Greek. We, 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 we are observing Jesus. We are watchful of Jesus. We are minding Jesus until he is our experience. Not just our knowledge, but until that knowledge becomes our experience. That is the culture of the kingdom to discover by use and to know by experience. Did we understand that? All right. That is the culture of the kingdom. In Luke 17, they asked him um, to show them the kingdom. Jesus. And he said, do not look here or there. If anyone tells you the kingdom is there or is coming, don't believe them. He says, because the kingdom of God is within you. Some Bible scholars have interpreted that, that to mean that he was referring to himself, being among them at the time. But then that would not necessarily explain being within you. So at the time, he could have spoken and said, he's among you in natural or tangible terms, 
but it could also imply that he was within them to come. Make sense? Just as Emmanuel was with us. Yeah? The ultimate wasn't for God to be with us, was for God to be in us until eventually we are with him. God with us, God in us, us with God. Because you know we will eventually be with God. Like chill, like with God. And forget all the questions you think you will ask God. You will not remember. Yeah, you will not. When you see God who is the light of the city. All darkness will be dispelled. Every question will end with your mortal body. And your mortal mind. So just enjoy the fullness of what God has given you on the earth. Enjoy your marriage. (laughs) Because you will not necessarily recognize your wife. There will be no wife there. There will be no wife there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You will not have any any questions. Pretty much. And so so now he is in us. That was the, the ultimate on the earth. So the kingdom is in us. And therefore the kingdom is us. So as we transact, the kingdom happens. Are you listening to me? As we transact, the kingdom happens. That's what the gospel achieved in us. In our day-to-day relationships, in our business transactions, in our walk with God, in our prayer with God. You know, like I said last week and the week before, you have to pray like a kingdom-minded person. Do you understand? I just gave you the example of the British citizens. They don't go in there begging for the benefit. You just prove that you are who you are. You give them your passport and they work it out. Do you understand? You lose a job this week. Next week, two weeks, you walk in there and tell them, I'm jobless. Hook me up. And you get paid. You're not begging for it. You're not chasing after it. It answers to your account of your citizenship. In the same vein, as believers... Hey, we're not begging for stuff. We have stuff at our, at our disposal. As sons. So when you pray, you pray from what you have. Not what you need. And that way you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't babble endlessly. Like Gentiles. Again, pagans. Jesus said, right? Matthew 6. Babble endlessly. It's repetitious words. Thinking that it's by how many times you repeat your words that God hears you. So, somehow we read our Bibles and we don't see those, those, those phrases. Oh Lord, my father, my father, every enemy of my brother, what are you waiting for? Da, 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 my head is hurting. And then you go on over and over and over and over and over. Come now, come now, come now, come now, come now, 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 now. And God is looking at you. In wonderment, thinking, who has bewitched you? If God knows that you have need of these things, and Jesus said, even before the Holy Spirit, that it's not in your vain repetitions. And then Romans says that we know not how to pray as we, as we ought, but the Spirit helps our infirmities. Praying the man of the Father with groanings that cannot be uttered. Then what's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? 
Intercession. I said it here again, and people thought he, he's crazy. He said, there's only one intercessor, Christ. I can't intercede for you. The ministry of intercession is filled. There's no vacancy. He's the one interceding for me and for you. For me to intercede for you, it suggests that I can be intermediary between you and the person whose attention you need. But Paul tells Timothy that there is only one mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. So it turns out at the end of the day, it boils down to whether we believe as we say we do. Because the word of God is so sufficient, it's uncanny. The word of God is so sufficient, we just, like, like Daniel said, we just don't want to be believers. We want to be believers and Nigerians, believers and Ibibio, believers and cultural, believers and philosophical. Faith defies logic. It doesn't work. So it, it, have you noticed that it doesn't matter where, what direction we go, it boils down to how much you trust the word of God. Is that you, Master? Yes, it's me. You? Really? Walking on water? Yes, me. Walking on water. Ah. Tell me to come. I can do what you're doing. As long as it is you. And not a ghost. You that I, I believed in. Yeah? You that I've seen do this, that, and the other. If it's you that I've seen, black woman, observed, watched, made my experience, tell me to come. Not anyhow, tell me to come walking on the water the same way you're doing. That's what he told Jesus. He said, bid me to come walking on the water. So he wasn't just saying, Jesus, tell me to come to you. Lead me to the place where you are. No. Because that's another song. Yeah. Very lovely song. I just want to be where you are. Yeah. <laughs> In your dwelling place forever. But you have come to Mount Zion. Yes. Not you will come. You have come to an innumerable company of angels. You have come to Jesus. You are not afar. You are there. He's in you. You have access. Again, our inability to decipher the difference between the old and the new. And when it comes to God, I'm happy being a lie. As long as we champion that he is true. We're not looking for him. We have him. So he says, tell me to come on the water. And all Jesus said was one word, come. And Peter stepped out, blepomen, afrorontes, uh, but not quite. He broke his gaze. He saw the, the waves, he saw the torrents, he saw the storms of life, he saw circumstances. And he sang. Now, only, only 
heaven knows what would have happened if Peter kept his gaze. They probably would have strolled on the water all the way to Tiberias. You know, just walking on the water, talking. Just walking and chilling. Who knows if the other disciples would have grown a bit of gumption to say, no, Pete, nah, not just you. At least if nobody else, at least James and John. But I said, no, if Peter is doing it, uh, nah, man, I, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to do it. And then by the time Peter, James, and John come in, Peter will be like, okay, Lord, is there no other higher level? Can we fly, please? <laughs> Can we fly and leave James and John here? Because it was me that told you that you should tell me to come. Yeah. You know, don't share my experience with... Peter was that kind of guy, yeah. you know? The point I'm making here as we round this up is that his word is sufficient. If only we will trust. If he says, you having all sufficiency in all things will abound in every good word, take him at his word. Take him at his word. It's sufficient. Is, is that it? All, all I need to do is soak in the Jordan? Yes, that's it. And it will always sound like that you, that there's, there's a need for more. For you to do more. For you to pray more. You know, you sin and we say to you, just confess, Father, I thank you that this sin is forgiven. That's how we pray now. Yeah, I'm not proud of what happened. I, I messed up. But I thank you that you don't see me according to my mess up. I thank you that the blood took care of this. That's why I celebrate the victory I have in you against which the accuser of the brethren ain't got nothing on me. I thank you. I thank you for grace that I have every day to, be, to live above sin because I love you. And sin is not my master. I'm yielded to you as members of righteousness, my body. That's how you pray. Not, Father, forgive me my sins. Because you're asking God to forgive you your sin. You're asking God to find another Jesus and go and kill so we can have fresh blood by which you can forgive your sin. But he took away the sin of the world. Whether you like it, or you don't like it. Scripture cannot lie. So we're not praying for forgiveness of sins. Oh, but doesn't James say we should confess our sin one to another? Is not referring to sin against God. One to another. That you may be healed. Not that you may be forgiven. James 5. I might help somebody too. James 5, for context from verse 13, for context. But if, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful, let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. 16, confess your trespasses 
one to another, or sins in King James, right? And pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In what context? Healing. An English word that is not in your Bible, restitution. There is no condition for God forgiving us. He forgave us before we could do anything about it. So there is no attachment to God's forgiveness. Make sense? But if I said something, for instance, I was with wisdom, and I said something not nice about Ephraim to wisdom. Hmm? And it probably went out. You know how you started the rumor? You heard the rumor spreading in town. And each time you hear it, you know that you started it. Or you were there, you heard somebody start it. Who knows what I'm talking about? Or in your church or something. You know that this thing is traced to you. And you come to the knowledge of the fact that that was wrong. You're already forgiven of it. That's the reckless love of God. The other person is hurting from the impact of your sin, but God doesn't hold you to your sin. It's God. He wouldn't say, well, because Cassie is hurting from what you did to him, I refused. The forgiveness I already give you, I'm taking it. You can't do that. The blood paid once and for all. So Cassie is smarting from it, but if this guy is a believer, he's forgiven. From the standpoint of the forgiveness he has, he might be led to go to Cassie and say, I said something about you I shouldn't have said. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Not, not Lord's prayer forgiveness. Forgive us as, as we forgive. No, Ephesians says, forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgive you. So now out of the forgiveness you know you have in Christ without Cassie's permission. This guy hurt this guy. This guy has forgiveness from God. This guy cannot block it. Deal with it. Do you understand what I just said? But we paint God as though God needs the permission of this guy to forgive this guy. The brother broke your heart and walked away. And the brother is worshipping God. And you are like, God, but my heart is still broken. Don't hear his prayer. He has to be at peace with me first. I'm sorry. Both your wrongs and his wrongs were all paid for at the same time. So God is not going to now remove the forgiveness until you release him. That's where that phrase came from, that evil phrase. That's witchcraft. So he's forgiven, you're forgiven. Are you following me? But the forgiveness that wisdom has knowledge of informs him to go to Cassie and say, I wronged you. Even if Cassie doesn't even know. Does that make sense? Because somehow he troubles wisdom that he was the one that hurt Cassie. Does that make sense? And that's different from the accuser bringing guilt. This is the Holy Spirit bringing conviction. Yes, yes, yes. So we, we, we act, James 5, according to leading of the Spirit, not according to guilt. Yeah. 
So the Spirit of God impressed on your heart that you need to. So you go to him and say, you know what, dude, I, I, I said stuff I shouldn't have said. Forgive me. You know it's the most Christian thing you can do? To say, I, I hurt you. Forgive me. I'm sorry. And the guy's like, yeah, cool, whatever. And he starts to go, you know what, but you know, I'm not even ready to release. Die. <laughs> no, seriously. You don't have a right. Smart all you want, pull a face all you want, be angry. That's your business. Now, but you must act on the leading of the spirit, not on pride, not on conviction, not on, on guilt. In doing that, you are healed in your heart. That heaviness is no longer there. James 5.16. And in praying for one another, Cassie can actually hold your hand and say, Father, thank you, my brother. Thank you for the forgiveness that he already has. Thank you for the spirit of God that convicted him you know, to do that. And we're cool. We love each other and we have one mind as comfort shared earlier. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Healing. That prayer is effective, fervent. Making tremendous power available to do what? To heal. Full stop. That prayer is effective. Amplified says, make it tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. In that context of healing, bringing healing. So all of a sudden, as soon as this is done, wisdom feels whew, healed. Power. We're done. That prayer is effective. It's so effective that Elijah prayed there should be no rain, and there was no rain. That's what he goes on to say in the next few verses. And then he prayed again, and then rain came. That kind of prayer, is av- that kind of power is available when you pray for somebody that hurts you. Pray for them, bless them that curse you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. Remember, Jesus told them in Matthew 5. That prayer, power. When we believe Jesus, we got... Did, did I help anybody? Yes. <laughs> so you come and say, we confess your sins to one another. To one another. For healing, not for forgiveness. From God. He's for, he forgave you in Christ. Amen? And that's the culture of the kingdom. Forgiveness. Right? Forgiveness is a culture of the kingdom. So when we believe we got sworn back into God's kingdom and his righteousness into its way of life, its way of governance, its ethics, its attitude, its ideals, its principles, its rulership. We cannot accept Jesus and reject what he is about. And he's about kingdom. So as we wrap it up, this series, understanding this gospel, I'm hoping that it has been transformative for someone. And, and what I'll advise is that you, you go and take as much time and play the recordings all over again, there's 16 of them, including today, I believe. 14 parts, two of them had A and B. Yeah, I think two had A and B, and 10, I believe, had A and B. So there should be 16. Um, and that's a lot. That's his school. Yeah? That's his school. So go through that, play over and over until you're conversant with the gospel. Everything else that we do here on will be laying on this foundation. And so if the foundation, if this foundation is not, is not rock solid, you're going to have a problem understanding everything else. Do you understand? Yeah, you're going to have a problem understanding everything else. And everything else is on this premise. So please, if you have just joined us in the past few weeks, we have been on this for like four months, every Tuesday, going through this. Next week, I'd like you to put together questions that you have, um, particularly regarding understanding this gospel. Questions you have um, from, from encounters you've had in conversations with people, from your own study, you know, if you've already asked those questions privately and have answered them, awesome. If not, 
bring questions that you've had from this study, listen to them, let's address them, let's, let's have unity of the faith as far as the gospel is concerned. Is that okay? Right? If you have questions on the gospel and you haven't listened to all 14 parts, go and listen to them first. Don't come and ask us a question we already dealt with. Yeah? So go, go and read and listen properly to everything. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.